Amen. Let me invite you this morning to take your Bibles out. If you don't have one, there might be one around you. You can borrow or grab it. And I want to have you turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew, the 28th chapter. We're going to continue this really fun, careful look at the church process, what it is that we are doing. And that's what we have up here is a diagram and illustration to help us with that. And I want to go back and just uh, review. I I think you'll remember last week we talked about the very central core purpose of the church, of our church. And I want to go through that again to make sure we're all on the same page. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. And yes, you get to say that with me again this morning because it's fun, right? I'm going to say the purpose of the church and you join me saying what it is, okay? The purpose of the church is to make disciples. That's right. Build a nice club that we can all attend? No. Have fun and put on lots of events? No. Right? That's the purpose of the church. Now, there are a lot of other things that we do along the way and that help us to do that, but the core purpose, what drives us, what determines our direction, What we use to say, yes, we're doing it, or no, we're not in evaluation, is making disciples. And we get that from Matthew chapter 28, and verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, it just so happens that that's how we started this morning. A little disciple was made in Jesus' name, and she was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all the things Jesus said that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Making disciples is what we're all about. Becoming disciples and then helping others become disciples. Folks, that has to be what we all agree upon. That has to be like there are a lot of other little things that come along the way, and there are sometimes different methods of doing that, but the main purpose It's got to be making disciples. And so our process as a church is grace, grow, go. We have it up here. Grace, last week we looked at this. That means that we take the good news of the gospel that God has offered redemption, salvation for every single person by his own sacrificial gift, Jesus dying on the cross. That we didn't have to earn it. We don't deserve it. That's just God's grace, and and we receive it. And when we do, that begins the process of a disciple. A disciple cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ until first that person has made a decision to trust him as Savior, as Lord. Once that happens, now we grow. Grow the disciple. Make the disciple, according to Jesus' words, someone who understands his teachings and his ways and then lives accordingly. So making disciples, church, watch this. Making disciples means that there will be growth and change along the way. Transformation in each one of our lives and in the church at large. Now, there's something I want to show you because I think sometimes we get confused about what a disciple really is. We think, a disciple, that's somebody who's a church member. Or that's somebody who, you know, on their bumper sticker or on the back window of their car, they have one of those little symbols that means they're a Christian. That's what a disciple is. Or they wear on their t-shirt something. Or they go to church. Right? We, we tend to kind of correlate today disciples with those, or, or goes to just classes in Bible studies. Let's look at what Jesus was really saying here. This is sort of to introduce our study, and then I'm going to show you how we help grow disciples. He says in verse 19, Go. We're going to look at that more next week, but that has the idea of of depart from here, go out into life. And and he says, make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Circle that word in your Bible, underline it, mark it, put a star by it, write it in your notes. The word make disciples there, the Greek word is just simply disciple. And it's, it's in the imperative or the action form. Go, and in your life... Let your life create, make happen disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is saying that to the very ones that he has already discipled. Like I've done with you, he says. You now and go and do with others in your life. And the idea of disciple there, mathaituo, is the Greek word. What does it mean? Well, it means really follower or, or learner. But an interesting observation. 
that word disciple comes from another word. Mantheno is the Greek root word. What does mantheno mean? It means, watch this, to learn. To learn. In other words, in the Bible, a disciple, the word, is made from the concept of learning. Learning to become. Learning to do. It's the idea of like an apprentice. If I had an apprentice plumber, I'm not a plumber, guys. You you don't want any plumbing from me, I guarantee it. Ask Julie. But if I was, and I had an apprentice disciple, and I was to make a learner out of my apprentice plumber, then you would have every reason to expect that at some point, watch this church, stay with me, at some point that plumber disciple would begin learning how to do plumbing. Am I right? You're not interested in the fact that he has taken classes in plumbing. You're not interested in the fact that he belongs to a plumber's association. You don't really care so much when your toilet is overflowing with all that nasty stuff that comes out. At that moment, it doesn't matter what he calls himself. What you really want to know is, has he learned to do what the master plumber knows to do to fix this problem? Has he learned? That's the idea of what a disciple. Has a disciple learned to live his or her life like Jesus Christ lives, to do his ways. To te- and then he says, so then we go and teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded. There's so much we could say breaking this passage down, but I think I want to do it in the form of the overall theme of the message today. And so we'll come back and study this verse over and over again, but I, I want to show you some, some guidelines to the church. If we're going to see disciples being made, how do we do that as a church? Grace, grow, Go. And there are three very important things that I want to show to you. Um, if, if you want to begin with me, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And how do we see somebody grow into a disciple? The first thing is this there is a primary growth arena. If disciples are to be made, become learners, then there's a certain arena that that happens in. And we learn that from the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What's this talking about? Basically, this is Paul telling the church at Ephesus, look, God has given you some special gifts in the church. He's given you some resources, some tools to help you. To help you do what? To help you so that all the people of the church are equipped to do the work of the ministry for the edifying building up of the body of Christ. Now I want you to watch this. The saint is you. The body of Christ is the church. Keep reading. Until we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, till we start becoming more mature in how we look like and live like Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Are you, hey, church, are you with me? Are you, do you see it? Look, at, look in your Bible. Look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children. See, so that we grow up. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There's all kinds of false ideas, he says. But speaking the truth in love may, watch this, grow up, that we may grow up in all things into he who is the head Christ, now watch, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the equipping of itself in love. Now look, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to figure this out. You can just be simple-minded and plain like me. Look, he's saying, the idea here is that every one of us would grow up into the stature, the person of Christ. And as we do that in the church together, the church then grows up into a church that has disciples of Jesus Christ, and that edifies and builds up the church. You see, you can't separate You can't separate the individual personal growth of each one of us 
from the corporate overall growth of the body of Christ. This church is the primary, primary, primary arena for your spiritual growth. It's not the only way we grow spiritually, but it's the primary way. Now, I know somebody, somebody's going to say, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, I don't like the sound of that. Church is, you know, I can grow on my own because that's how we tend to be. A little bit rebellious, a little bit independent in our thinking. I don't need the church to be able to grow. Listen, you may think that that's true. But when we are learning what it takes to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we better look at what Jesus Christ says about becoming his disciple. And regardless of what you think, the person on TV thinks, or the writer of the latest, greatest book on Amazon thinks, the Bible says that your spiritual growth happens in cooperation, in connection, in conjunction, and intimately involved with others in your local church. The church is the place to grow disciples. This is it, folks. This is where we do it. This is where we learn together, grow together. This is where we bring people to grow. Not just the building, but the people, the church. It's the primary place where disciples are grown. God chooses this way, the church. God chooses a beautiful way. The church. I I, I would never trade any of my days of growing spiritually in the image of Jesus Christ, learning to be a disciple that I have experienced in a local church. I would never trade that for anything. It's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful in how it feeds us and nourishes us and meets the need within us, even when we don't think it does. It's an exciting way. I don't know if you noticed, but this morning when we baptized Briah, there was a little mini revival that broke out up here. It was like cheering. Why? I mean, the, the boys and girls started it up here. Why are we so excited when that happens? Because it's exciting and encouraging to see that what we say we really believe is true. It really does work. God really does capture the hearts and minds of little boys and girls with the gospel. And they really do follow through and say, I want to obey and follow him and do it just like Briah did. And they really do go to school and in their class like Briah did, proclaim in front of all the students, you better trust Jesus Christ too like I did. It's encouraging for us. It's exciting for us to be a part of that. That's what we experience in this primary growth arena called the church. But there's also a primary growth agent. An agent, you know, that's like a a tool. A, a, A means of growing. The primary growth agent is the Bible. It is the word of God. You and I, listen, now, this is stretching some of us, I know. We're thinking, do I really believe this? Is this really true? Let me help you. First Peter chapter 2. Let's see what God says about the word, the scriptures, the Bible. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Now, this is Peter, a disciple of Jesus Christ, teaching the church how to be disciples. And he's writing this. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 says this. Therefore, lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Hold on just a minute. Hold on. Some of you are still getting there. First Peter 2. I'll wait. It's okay. It's more important for you to see it. Listen to what he's saying here to the church. Lay aside malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking. Let me just tell you something. This stuff that we're reading about that he tells them to do away with, to lay it aside, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking, that's the stuff, as bad as it sounds, that we all do. Yeah, you you do that sometimes. Yes, you do, right? This isn't the church where we just put on our church face and our church clothes and pretend like we don't do any wrong. This is the church where it's okay to not be okay. We come real, just the way we are, knowing that there's something inside of us, that old sin nature, 
that flesh that creeps up, and even though we've been given new life and we're supposed to be disciples, tends to lead us to tell things that are not true, to deceive what people think, tend to lead us to want to project ourselves better than we are. That's hypocrisy. And by the way, that's the blight of every single one of us, folks. We struggle with that on a daily basis. You see what he's saying? He's saying, grow up in Christ, church. Make some changes, lay aside those things that you don't have to do anymore because now you're a disciple of Christ. And instead of living in hypocrisy, you live in authenticity. And instead of living in malice, you live in kindness and gentleness. And instead of living with envy, you live with selflessness. You can do that now. You see, it doesn't happen automatically. I, I wish you would realize the impact of what I just said. It doesn't happen automatically because we're a Christian. All of a sudden, we're always living in kindness. We're always gentle and humble and selfless thinking of the other person. I, I, I kind of wish I could live like that all the time, but I don't. You see, he's telling them, grow up. Grow in being like Christ. Well, how do we do that, Peter? Look at the very next verse. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. May I invite you to mark that phrase? That you may grow thereby. You know what that means? Here's how you grow. How? Desire the pure milk of the word. God's word. The Bible. The truths, the precepts, the stories, the characters, the commandments. Everything in the Bible is given to us. Now watch this. You see, because when someone trusts Christ as Savior, stay with me, church. I think you might learn something here. Watch this. When a person trusts Jesus like Brian did, and, and the Spirit of God now comes to dwell within us, and we're learning to be disciples. Now watch this. The word of God has a different effect on you. It's no longer a book of, of, of stories and names and facts that you can't quite get a grasp on. All of a sudden, supernaturally, spiritually, by no choice of your own, the word of God becomes the very nourishing substance that you feed on. It becomes like air that you breathe. You need to be nourished, not just once, not just in primary school, not just in high school, but day by day, just like, use Peter's analogy, not mine, just like a baby needs the pure milk every single day. That's how they grow. And before you know it, babies grow past milk, don't they? They grow those little teeth. And when they get teeth, that's like saying, okay, you're graduating to steak now. Right? Aren't you grateful for that? You're going to go to lunch today at Olive Garden or Outback or wherever, and they're not going to serve you just a bowl of formula. I hope. You're going to order something that it takes that knife with all the serrated edge. It takes that to cut into it. Now we're talking, right? Why? Because at some point in your growth, the formula no longer sustains your needs. You got to move on to meat and potatoes, and I wish that was it, but there's probably vegetables too. Are you with me? That's stuff that we need more. Hey, the, the Word of God is the same way. In fact, sometime turn to Hebrews chapter 5, you'll see the writer of Hebrews saying the very same thing to other Christians, saying, you've been on the milk. You've been desiring the milk. You've been growing on the milk, but you've been doing it long enough. It's time for you to move from the milk to the meat of God's Word. Stay in God's Word. Go deeper. You need it more. Did you know that? Hey, church, the more we grow as a disciple of Christ, the more we need God's word, not the less. You see, some of us think, oh, I've been a church member for 835 years. I know some of you were there when Moses was getting saved. <laughs> but you need the word of God more than most of us because you are that much more advanced and Christ-like in your stature. And the more like Jesus you become, the more you need God's word to continue to grow and to stay. That's right. It's, amen goes right there. You can say it if you want. It's a perfect place for it. 
Be careful, church. Be careful. Today, there are a lot of substitutes offered for disciples to try to go. Oh, self-help manuals and the books. And listen, I'm even going to say it. I'm going to step on the Holy Grail here. You ready? Even Bible study classes, counseling, programs. Now listen, I didn't say there's anything wrong with any one of those. But they can never, ever substitute the word of God when it comes to helping you grow into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Those things are supposed to point you to the word of God so that you go on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. And, and you read it, and you listen to it, and you study it, and you memorize it. You internalize everything that you're saying. It's like air. It's like formula. It's like water. You're only going to go so far without it. And then you're going to get pretty dang thirsty. And when we're thirsty, we turn to all kinds of polluted sources, don't we? And it doesn't make us healthy at all. It makes us sick. That's how we grow. The primary growth agent, church, is the word of God. I think most of you would probably agree with me. But let me caution all of us. There's a missing link in this word of God agent in many Christian circles today for many disciples. And I want to invite you to turn all the way back to Deuteronomy. All the way back in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy. I want to show you something. The missing link of disciples growing in God's word. I'm going to spend just a minute doing this because it's really important, okay? In just a minute, we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 4. This is the Hebrew Shema. This is the Jewish primary passage that forms their identity as a people of God. The missing link is this, church. Application. Application of the word of God is so much harder and more elusive than the reading, hearing, and understanding of the word of God. Now, true, we have to have both, okay? Oftentimes it takes reading and understanding and hearing before we can apply it, no doubt about it. It's part of the process. But we live in a day and age, stay with me, where the primary goal has become to know about God's word rather than apply it. As a matter of fact, we've become experts, Christians, today. You see, it's sort of our Western philosophy thinking. It's the idea that, that, that what you know and what you can uh, articulate and describe, your understanding level matches your value. So we give PhDs to those who know much and they're very valuable. That's the Western philosophy. And we're victims of Western thought. And, and we live in a day where understanding and knowing has become the primary goal. We have Bible studies and Christian books and how-to and Christian counselors galore. They're everywhere. There's never been so many available to us. And Christians all over the globe are, are, are in a frenzy, frantically learning more and more about what this Bible teacher says and what this book says and what that program and what that Bible study. And it's all in this nice sterile classroom environment. And we walk away and most of the time never apply one single precept to how we live our lives. You see, that's, that's not becoming a disciple. God taught his people in verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Beyond your understanding, he says, beyond your knowledge, with all of who you are. And these words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. It's interesting. We think in your heart means that you understand it. In, in American thinking, in English Western thought, that might be true. But, but in Eastern thought, in Jewish thought, to be in your heart means to be the way that you live your life. The Bible says it. 
Out of the heart flow the issues of life. The heart is the wellspring of how you live your real character and who you are. He says, let these things that I tell you, the word of God, be in your heart. And then in verse 7, he shows you what it looks like. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Here's what I want you to see. Nowhere in that passage where God is telling his people, here's how you live for me, does it say, this is what I want you to do when you meet together in temple. In class, in training, in school. That's not the primary place where we grow according to God's word. It's in life. You see, talk diligently to your children. Like, where are you with your children today, parents? You're everywhere. If you've got little ones, you're really everywhere. Everywhere they go. When they get into the cupboard and spill the Cheerios all over the floor, that's life. Talk about what God's word says then. When your children come home and have questions and when, when they're fighting with a, a kid at school or when there's sibling rivalry or conflict in the home, when somebody gossips about you, when somebody offends you, those are the issues of everyday life. He says when you, when you talk of them, when you sit at your house, where you live, when you walk by the way. You know what walking by the way is? out there. You don't walk by the way in this room or in any of those classrooms. You walk by the way when you go to where you frequent, where you need to go next week, where you're living your life. Listen, where you're touching other people in the world. That's the way. That's the path. And he says, that's the place where you keep these things diligently in your heart so that you live according to them. I want to tell you, it's just like him saying, you not only need to know my commandments, but you need to apply them in the way that you live. If, if you understand that, if you see that, if, if that's something that you want to do, would you just nod your head for me? Just, yeah, I see it. Look, folks. It's become very easy to know a lot about God's word. It's not automatic, but it's become very easy. And some people, by their nature, their giftedness, are very good at it. But they're not living in kindness. And when somebody strikes out and attacks them and reaches out to them, they respond in like kind by attacking Our flesh governs our choices and our decisions and what we do and where we go more often than the Spirit of God. And that means that we're not taking the Word of God along the way of life and showing our children. One of the great blessings for the Lockwood family, and I just, I just want to call attention to this precious family for a minute. You know, uh, Bowen recently diagnosed with leukemia. This last week they found out Brighton, their youngest, also has a very, very rare autoimmune disease. Not sure about the treatment, but it's certainly not going to be fun. And we think, those of us who aren't walking through that, how, how can the Lockwoods go through any more? Here's what I want you to see. We sympathize with them, but I also want you to learn from them. Because the Lockwood family is learning right now with their children, each one watching and listening. This is how you walk through life, obeying God's word. That you, you don't give up and you don't hope in, in other things. You turn to God and you continue to be faithful to God, even when there's trial. In fact, more importantly, when there's trial in our lives. And we speak of God's goodness and God's blessings. And we, we try to face trials giving God the glory and letting him have his way in our lives. And I'm going to tell you something. I certainly don't want to walk through what they're walking through. But I sure would like to have the effect on their children that it's having for theirs in my own family. Where life happens. That's where you learn to grow as a disciple. That's where we grow. Now, there's one primary thing left that I think may help us complete that thought. The church is the primary growth arena, folks. This is where we're going to 
learn it, and this is the place where we're going to grow together. And by the way, remember something. I think we all agree, the church is not the building. Right? See, if we view the church as the building and we say the primary growth arena is the church, then we think, oh, it's that class, it's that program, it's that sermon. That's my growth. No, 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 no. Those are all to help you. Church, Ephesians 4.11 says, equip the saints for the work of the ministry that you would go out into life and begin to live and apply together as the church. That's the arena we're talking about. Right? And the primary growth agent being the word of God. Not only knowing it, learning it, understanding it, but also applying it. It brings us to a final primary growth element. And I'm calling this one the primary growth absolute. The primary growth, mainly because I needed to come up with another A word. So stick with the theme, right? Agent, arena. Absolute seemed to fit. But it really is true. It's absolutely necessary. And I'm going to just say this a little bit cautiously because we're still learning to do this as a church. The primary growth absolute is small groups. Small groups. It's in the arena of the church. It's with the agent of God's word. And it's in the context of small groups. And the reason I say it a little bit cautiously is because we have yet to really get a hold on offering small groups in our church. We're getting there, right? We're learning this process. But we're not there yet. I want to tell you a couple things about small groups, and, and I have an illustration to help us this morning. Let me just tell you the answers first, and then I'm going to show you by illustration. Small groups help us with community, relationships, and fellowship. Okay? For those of you that are just so meticulous and... You know that other word for it? You have to get every answer. Those are your answers for the blanks right there. Don't come up to me afterwards and say I didn't get them, right? Small groups help us in three different ways. Community, relationships, and with fellowship. Small groups give us an entirely different context to learn God's word. Now let me just say this. I'm going to talk about small groups that are in homes for a moment. We don't have any of those organized in our church right now. We have Sunday school classes and, and a couple little other classes going on. I'm talking about home groups for a very specific and particular reason. Home groups give us the context and the environment where we can look at God's word in everyday life, in the home. Home groups build a community of people. It's not just a one-day class that you go to and check in your attendance and walk away. This is a, a fellowship. This is a community that you join and you become part of. The people in your small group become people who know intimately what you're walking through. And you know what's going on in their lives. And when you stumble, they're there and they know and they can help you. And when they stumble, you're there for them. And there's a commitment level. And you sort of share life together. You understand what I'm saying? It goes beyond just meeting together one time. It's a small group where we all agree we are going to learn together to apply God's word and we're going to help each other do it. See, we've gotten off track a little bit with our education. Let me use fish as the example. Fish live in the natural in schools. You see there's a picture of some really beautiful fish, and they live in a school in the ocean together. The school provides everything they need together. They don't survive very long isolated by themselves, but it's in their natural environment where they learn in schools to find the proper food, to mate and build families properly, to give birth, right, to their eggs and all that stuff. It's, it's the place where they thrive. They become most healthy, just like God wanted them to be, stay with me, when they're in their natural environment, in that context right there, that's where they grow. The disciple, just like the fish, is supposed to grow in schools of people in the ocean in everyday life. What we have done is we have taken the fish out of the ocean, see, and because it's easier, because we don't really have to be accountable, because 
sometimes it's funner. We create this sterile environment called the classroom where we come and, and it's like we want to grow fish. It's like saying, well, what do fish need? Well, they need a little water, so here, get some water. All right, grow, breathe. And we're expecting the fish to grow because why? Well, because it takes water and we're giving them water. Oh, wait a minute, it also takes fish food. So I got, I can't read it without my glasses, but I read it earlier in the store and it's got like uh, vitamins and hormones for fish and it has some antibacterial type stuff that helps the fish so that in this pool environment, you know, when diseases are growing, that it doesn't get too sick because it's a, it quickly builds up bacteria. And man, this stuff stinks awful. I'm not sure what real fish food smells like out in the ocean, but that's nasty. And, and, and we say, here, eat. You're supposed to eat, eat now, now grow. And, and, and swim and live. And, and look, this is how we do it. You need more water? Oh, man, we'll give you more water. You need more food? We'll give you more food. More Bible study? More, oh, you need a men's retreat to help you keep going? Need a women's tea? That'll encourage you. You need another uh, uh, Adrian Rogers book? Rick Warren program? What, what do you need? And we're trying to grow. They even have a, a fish store. They had this little chemical that you have to put in if you're going to grow fish today to dechlorinate the water because our water has so much chlorine in it that it causes the fish. So because we're doing it in this plastic environment, we're having to add all these other chemicals and all these other factors so that the fish really grows to look to look like he would grow if he were out there in the school in the ocean. And then... We take the fish, and the fish leaves the pool, and the water, and the food that we're giving him, and he goes out into everyday life, and life hits him hard, and he doesn't know what to do. And he goes back to living the same whole way he did before. And the world looks at him and says, a disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't look any different than me. And then we get tired of that, and we get beat up and burned out, and we come back on another day next week, and we get the same thing all over again. Oh, man, you got pretty dry out there in the world. Let me, let me put some more water on you. Get some air in the water. You need something. And we got this little sterile environment teaching disciples how to be disciples. Do another Bethmore study here. That'll get you going. And then it happens again. We walk out into life. And we forgot that fish have to grow in schools out in the ocean. Because there's all kinds of things that the ocean provides in their natural environment, God's intended place for them to grow, that we could never replicate or reproduce in this sterile environment. And it's the very same for a disciple. We are to learn together, in life, out there, facing decisions together, falling down together, rejoicing and celebrating together, practicing. This is what the Word of God says. Let's go do this together in life with our neighbor, with your workplace, with that school, with this teacher, with your neighbor. You see the difference? We're making disciples at Cross Point Church. We're making disciples. But in order to do that, we have to get God's Word into a context that Jesus Christ designated to be the place where you learn to apply it. Hope you caught it, what I just said. This is not my idea. Say, so how do you know Jesus Christ's context? And his plan was like these groups out in life and not like we're doing it today. Well, because I've read my Bible. And I've gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus' life is recorded, and I've watched and studied and learned and guessed the way he did it. He said, you, come with me. I'll make you fishers of men. And he took him to the workplaces of the day. He took him to the marketplaces of the day. He took him to the well where everybody got water from. He met them not only in the temple, he met them in their homes and at their weddings and at their funerals. And he taught the disciples, watch this, here's how to learn to be like me. You live life like this. 
and this is what you say when this happens. And when God's word says this, this is what that looks like in your life. And Jesus modeled for them, walked with them, brought them in life. Church, why do you think he did that? He didn't just call them all to temple and teach them a lesson and send them on their way. He did that, and then he went with them, and he took them into life. And we have to learn in our small groups to build relationships, to build community. And it's so hard in America today. It's so hard. American civilization is anti-community. If I can do it on Facebook, I don't have to talk to you in person. If I can send you an email, I don't have to see your response when I say it. Hello. If I can just watch it on TV and participate in the world right here in my own little living room with the door shut, then I don't have to risk being vulnerable. People knowing who I really am. But you see, church, being vulnerable and having people in your life who really know who you are, that is how we grow. That's how we go beyond the information into the application of what God's word says to do. We do it together. We do it in community. We do it with relationships. And you can't do it any other way. So at Cross Point Community Church, grace, the entry point for every person, we said it last week, is right here. This is the entry point. Come. Learn who Jesus is. You can come to the church service anytime and meet people and start to build relationships. But when we move from grace now to grow, the idea is to help every single person find a small group community where they connect, where they're known, where they know people, and where they learn to grow and apply what they're learning about the scriptures. Every single disciple should be part of a small group. This year, Pastor Ben's going to roll out a small group plan for us. And and it'll probably be multifaceted. It'll have all kinds of options for you. But I want to encourage you, the more organic, the more communal, the more relationships in life your small group gets, the more you will grow in likeness of Jesus Christ and become a disciple. you got to help us, church. The goal is grace, grow, go. We don't do anything else here. That's it. If we do anything, it's going to help support that process. Why? Because that's what Jesus said to do. Go make disciples. How do you do it, Jesus? Just like I did it. Preach and proclaim the gospel through grace to those who need it, and then walk with them in life and teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. good news is this, we get to do it together. I don't want to do it alone. I don't think I can do it very well alone. I need you. And there's some of you in this church that I need to be really close and in my life and sharing my heart, my thoughts, and my life with, and you sharing yours. Otherwise, my spiritual growth begins to stagnate and get stale. And before you know it, I'm drawn more and more to this plastic environment where if I can just convince you that I'm growing as a disciple, then I'm a disciple. And that's not what Jesus said to do. He's interested in using us to be salt and light so that everybody that tastes our life and who we are is flavored and drawn to the cross, to the person of Jesus Christ where God is lifted high and God is exalted and made famous and made known in our community and in our our lives, our neighborhoods. How does he do that? As we grow in discipleship. As we grow. Every single one of us is at a different place in our spiritual walk and I'm going to close with this thought. You might be a brand new believer like Briah Lockwood this morning. Even if you're older, you might be a brand new believer. And that's okay. 
Right where you are is absolutely fine. Wherever you are today in your spiritual growth level, you're fine. But where you choose to go for the next year, now that's going to determine what kind of fruit you have in your life. Will you take some steps to grow this year as a disciple? Will you help us as a disciple that when new people come in and become disciples, that you will also facilitate in your ministry and in your service, helping them to grow in learning to apply God's word? That's what we're all committing to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. This year we're going to launch small groups, and here's what I expect. When Pastor Ben gets, ben gets up and says, hey, small groups, everyone, this way, small groups, I expect for him to be trampled. <laughs> Blow right over the top of him. So many people running to respond to become part of small groups that, that we don't even know what to do with all these people. That's what I'm expecting. And the fruit will be next year. We'll celebrate everything that God has done. I guarantee you, God will be glorified in that. And your life will be blessed. Let's pray. We pray this morning. Bow your heads and maybe close your eyes. What is it that you want to say to God as you worship this morning? Your heavenly Father's listening. Hopefully you've heard from him today. You've seen his word, his truth, his commandments. You've seen his ways. How do you want to respond? Father, I I just love you so much. God, your grace to me and your goodness to me is beyond limits. I, I want to learn to grow in your word. I want to learn to become a disciple that that's more and more fruitful and that my everyday life and the way I behave and who I am is transformed to become like you. I want to do that, God. Help me to connect in your word every day to your heart. Help me to connect with others in a small group and community. If you're here this morning and Briah's baptism touched your heart and you've never been baptized, and her simple message resonated in your heart. I need to trust Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection to be forgiven. If that's your heart this morning, would you pray with me? Just pray to God. God, I, I have all this sin in my life. I can't get to you. I can't do it right. I can never be perfect. You sent your son to die on the cross, to spill his blood, to be crucified as a penalty for my sins. You offer for me to receive the forgiveness and the new life. And I say, yes, I choose to receive, to trust you, to believe you by faith that you died for me. Come into my life and never leave me. Be my Lord and my Savior. I accept. Those of us who have prayed that prayer and made a decision have been transformed. Would you commit to growing in God's word this morning? Say, Lord, I, w- I want to grow. I want to do what your word says in this area of my life or that area of my life. Help me to prepare for small groups when they come that I won't be afraid and and I won't be too busy. Because I agree with you, Lord. Being a disciple is the most important thing in my life. And I want to do it well. If God's speaking to your heart and you want to come up for a moment and pray at the altar, would you come? Just a time of response from, from anywhere in the room. doesn't matter who you are how long you've been here. If you'd like to just come forward and just come before the altar and say, God, I'm serious about this. Would you you do this in my life? I want to worship you this morning. I want to thank you. Forgiveness and new life that I have. God's speaking to your heart. You come.
Thank you, Jesus. Help us to go this week and live your word out and be light and salt. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your attention and your willingness to look into the word of God and say, what is true and what is right? What should I do? be obedient to God this morning. In just a moment, we're going to take up the offering. If those guys that are going to help would come forward at this time. And uh, when the offering plate goes by, the invitation is for you to put your response card, your chat card in that plate. And so every single person can have a card to put in there. And we would love it if you'd do that. What is your response to God? Write that on the card. And we pray for you all week long. And it's a chance for you to give of your heart. Also, we would invite you to give of your finances, a gift, an offering, a tithe, unto the Lord, and that becomes just another way for us to worship this morning. So give in a way that's generous, sacrificial, meaningful, as you step out in faith and trust God for everything that he's given you in your life. Chaplain Jim, would you lead us in prayer? Father God, we just, we just thank you for your word this morning, Jesus. Lord, may we continue to learn this grace, grow and go. Touch our lives, Lord, that we are able to take this to the community and around us, Lord, that we might be able to share the grace that we know through you, Jesus. I thank you for, ask for a special prayer this morning uh, in my heart, Lord, just for the Lockwood family, for all they're going through. Jesus, in your name, I pray that you would touch and heal that family. Others amongst us, Lord, need your healing touch. I pray for them this morning, if they're sick or just having a bad day, whatever their situation, Lord. Right now, just touch them in your name. We thank you for the opportunity to just give back some of what we've been given, Lord. In this offering today, I ask that you would just bless it abundantly, that we might be able to continue the work that you have called us to do within this church. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.